Welcome to the debrief after our episode with uh, Robin Hansen, the answer to Eliezer Yudkowsky. Well, David, I feel better now. How about yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, I, so I've been a huge Robin Hansen fan <laughs> for a long time. So like the fact that he was on the podcast is like, this is one of these like, like cool you, moments. He has uh, one of the, your favorite books, right? The Elephant in the Brain? Yeah, is Elephant in the Brain. Man, we didn't even talk about that. No, I know. Oh, He's it's so, so good. It's so good, man. Uh, this is, should we talk this about is, it? This is, I, I don't know, just give us the TLDR because we have so much to talk about in this debrief. But the TLDR of the elephant in the brain is basically uh, you can't trust. Like, I've never read it, actually. So why don't you tell me? I'm doing a bad yeah, job. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know tell that you me, haven't you read it. Like, you're about to tell me what it is? No, okay. So elephant in the brain is about uh, how, how the brain works at a very high level. And it's got this, um, it's when you want to lie to someone or selectively disclose information or want to not reveal something to someone else. The best way, the best strategy to do that is to actually lie to yourself so that you don't know what the truth is. If you want to and lie so to it, someone, you have to fake yourself. You have to lie to yourself first. Yeah. So like, don't think about these conscious, don't think about this consciously. Like, so I, I have information in my brain that I don't want you to know. Think about it more subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, and so think about like mating strategies and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Right. And so if we want to, as a species, not disclose something to someone else, you first want to not disclose it to yourself because if your conscious brain doesn't know that it's true, then you can't accidentally lie to someone because you actually do believe the lie. Uh, and so this uh, has this is uh, the press secretary for the White House, for example. The president knows a lot of things, a lot of bad things. There's a lot of skeletons in the closet that the president might not that might know that they don't want the American people to know. So the press secretary, it has the role of speaking on behalf of the White House, speaking for the White House, the, 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 the conscious thinking and expression of the White House. The press secretary doesn't know about the skeletons in the closet. So therefore, they can't talk about the skeletons in the closet because they don't know that that, that exists. The elephant in the brain is that kind of model, but for your own brain. And so it hides certain things about yourself to you. And so you think, and this is also very much connected to Sam Harris's idea of free will. There are parts of your brain that are going to keep things hidden from you so that you don't have to be bothered with them. And so you can think about things and walk around this earth with parts of your, your brain keeping things suppressed. So you don't know about the things that you don't want to but disclose. But this is, David, this is not a book like teaching you how to lie better, right? It's a, it's no. a book that, that uncovers the actual reality of, of your mind. And it's basically the reality is your, your, your subconscious is right. um, like, is, is more the, like the president and your conscious mm -hmm. brain exactly. is more like the press secretary. And so you think that you are making the decisions as the press secretary, but no, you're not. You're just the press right. secretary. You're just like rationalizing decisions secretary. that yeah. the president mm -hmm. has already made. And those decisions exactly happen right. in your subconscious. And as the press secretary, your conscious is just like a rationalization machine, right? And so the lying part is like, if you want to trick, if you want to really uh, trick your press secretary, then like the president actually has to kind of believe it too. Is this it? Something right, like that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's a, a number of like things, like examples that the book goes through. So one is um, art. Why do we collect art? Or in my case, it might even be plants. Like one NFTs. of the reasons. <laughs> NFTs. Like why do we why do we do this? 
Uh, it's one of the examples is that because if you have big, fancy, expensive art in your place and somebody comes over to your place, they look at you and they're like, oh, you clearly have the resources that uh, would make it uh, so that you can buy art and put them up. You have extra resources and extra time to expend into this thing. So clearly you are a well-capitalized, well-resourceful person. It's, sure. it's all social signaling, right? And so like why we do things like this, are we try and explain away that, but if you, if you rip out, uh, rip the clothes off the emperor and say like, oh, the emperor's got no clothes, it's just like social signaling. So your it's press like secretary is going to be like, I like the shape of exactly. uh, the goose. Remember? Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Like the, this mm -hmm. particular art block is so beautiful to me and look at the shapeliness of it. And mm -hmm. this is my taste and these are my colors and all of these things. Right. But really that's just gloss over what you're, you're trying to get doing. laid. Okay. <laughs> And okay, it's, so there's another one with charity. Why do we donate to charity? Uh, and so this is uh, the an example of that it goes against this is um, GiveWell, which does good due diligence and research into effective charities so that when you give a dollar to charity, it actually does re like uh, actually affects like one dollar's worth of change. Yeah. And so GiveWell applies like a venture capital perspective brain about Effective charity altruism? Sure. Is this the Yes, key? yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. Um, the good kind. Um, <laughs> most charities <laughs> Yeah. Most charities are actually just like brochures and I like 2017 ICO vibes where they just like spin up a web page and be like, donate to us. And humans do, and they don't do any due diligence about like where these money goes. And charities as an industry can be like largely fraudulent because if you spend it's one dollar, it's you want it's to feel, to good, feel good. Yeah. And it's social status. And so like, oh, I donated to charity. I did this thing. It did sounds you like actually know, know where that dollar went? No, you just did it to feel good. And this is the part that's like lying to you. It's like you don't really care about that dollar. You just get to say that like you get to like you get you get like oh gold tier donator it's like oh that's my name my name's on the building it's, so it's all social this, status this is coming off as a little cyn cynical though is that the point like like humans don't actually do anything for any other reason other than selfish motivation is that um is that really the conclusion here well i think if you are a non-conscious human which i think would be defined as somebody who lets the elephant in the brain uh take the steering wheel and drive then yeah it's pretty cynical but the idea is that you know, like you read this book and you understand these things and you can actually you can correct this is what Sam, you can Sam, Sam Harris says about like why it's important to meditate uh. is that you push the elephant in the brain away and you stop allowing social status to guide your art and your charity decisions and you start being effective about it and you can actually impart real change. And Much so, more deliberate about it. And I suppose the press right. secretary can start making the process decisions and not be just thrown about at the whims of the president. Yeah, like you, you kick out, you fire the press secretary and you have the president oh, do, do the role of the press secretary because the president doesn't have any skeletons in the closet. He's honest. They, they're honest about themselves and they're fully transparent and they're here for the right reasons. And unless you kick out the elephant in the brain, you aren't equipped to live that life. Well, better that than living in delusion. I, I always right. say better, like, I think it's better to be slightly cynical, like more realistic than to just mm -hmm. live with like, oh, my art taste is amazing. And here's why I'm donating to this uh, charity. It's because I'm such a good person. I'm so generous, right. all of these things. Right. Uh, delusion is the, the worst of all of these choices, in my opinion. 
Yeah. Okay. And that was Robin Hansen. Okay. That was nothing to okay. do about anything of the podcast that we just had. All right. Well, after that, um, you know, uh, side quest here. Okay. So yeah. tell me the meat of it. Like, uh, what did you think? Contrast his perspective with um Eliezer. It, by the way, he didn't even wa- he didn't hasn't watched our episode yet with Eliezer right. and yet he knew exactly right what Eliezer's He's assumptions were. He's like here are the four or five assumptions that Eliezer has and I'm like he recited them. I was like, "Oh, you understand this. You <laughs> nailed it." It's like some kind of old adversary they'd been like uh-huh. uh sparring back and forth for for many years. Right. So he just he just you you called it like uh it was like course notes or something for him. Yeah. And uh anyway, how did he approach the problem of AI? How is his brain different than Eliezer's uh, brain? And why did they come? I wouldn't say the radically different conclusions, but like Mm-mm. different enough that it like really matters. And the difference, it was the difference p- to me between existential dread and like, okay, I could see how this could be okay playing out this way. Right. I think just understanding the vibe, the different vibes between them Eliezer, I would characterize as he has spiraled in down into this conclusion. And it he's got tunnel vision on. He's like he's in this he's in this hole that he can't get out of. Robin Hansen seems more pragmatic, uh, more multidisciplinary, hasn't spiraled, hasn't gotten caught up in things. And maybe this isn't like a good evidence-based answer, but just like the di- the vibes of these different answers, I think tell a lot about, uh, maybe I just want Robin Hansen to be right. <laughs> That's what I'm I, wondering. I, I, Is I there something to subconscious right. there? But the vibes the, okay. of the answers are different. And I like, I like Robin Hansen's more. Can I offer you a, a take on this? So that's sure. like a, a psych uh, take, maybe, like their dispositions mm-hmm. and their psychology mm-hmm. and where they've been with this thought process. I thought the rigor of analysis coming from Robin Hansen was different mm-hmm. in it because it brought something to the table that I don't think Eliezer acknowledged so much. But something that I found is true is competition mm-hmm. in multi-agent games. This is the economics. This is the Robin Hansen, the economic professor coming in of like, yeah, I could play out like this where you have a monopoly and a single artificial intelligence that sort of achieves this um, like breakout super intelligence and no one else can catch up. But like that's never how things play out in the real world, in niches and ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And like because we have competition in multi-agent games and if ChatGPT4 gets too ahead, guess what? You're going to have five competitors nipping at its heels. And maybe we'll be able to fork different AI like tools and it won't be like there will be all of these other actors who want to um, suppress or fight against or fight for resources or compete against the singular AI, including, by the way, human beings, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it was just this kind of maybe it's the economics in him. It was this recognition that actually rang more true to me. And maybe Eliezer is more correct in the computer science perspective. Because uh, Robin Hansen is not a computer scientist. I think you would acknowledge that. But I think he is very good when it comes to like multi-agent games and like the game theory and kind of competitive analysis and some of the things that seem to be discounted in Eliezer's model of the world. I still really want to get somebody who's like a more of a hardcore computer scientist and that's why uh, I'm excited about um, our, our next episode that we're actually going to do in this series with um, Paul Cristiano because I think he brings that 
perspective. Like he's worked at OpenAI on AI safety and all of these things. So he'll be the computer scientist perspective. But here we got the economist perspective and like the the market perspective of things. And I just what what started to crumble away was Eliezer's um like monolithic, I think you used this term in the episode, and monopolistic type of uh, approach for how this plays out. And so something about Hansen's take rang more true to me. I think that's because it pattern matches with the world as we know it more, and it's more familiar territory. And so that's kind of similar to what I was saying with like the whole vibe of the whole thing just feels a little bit more resonant. But also, to put on my Eliezer cap, Eliezer's point is that the world as we know it goes away because of these weird circumstances that creates a monolithic AI. And so like, that's, it's not correct to say like, oh, this, like, there's no market forces. There's no competition. Like Eliezer's like, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's the worry. Uh, And so all of these things converge to create a brand new world that is completely differentiated as we know it. But let me let me give an example here, and this is just maybe the most um, because I'm not sort of in it enough to know to pick apart all of the arguments that Eliezer had. But the conclusion that, and therefore, because of all of these things, Eliezer's conclusion, and therefore, the AI will want to destroy all of humanity. Not like consciously, unconsciously, the result will be it will destroy all of humanity. It will rearrange our a- atoms for some other AI purpose, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Why is that the conclusion? I don't understand a world where we said this in the last debrief with Eliezer, the AI just blasts off into the universe mm-hmm. and leaves us alone. Or right. we become the AI's pets. Why? I don't know. Because it just it wants to have pets. Like if if we can't possibly predict uh what a superintelligence will do, then why are the outcomes always that we result in death? And to me, this was a part of the kind of like almost like deterministic thinking that Eliezer may have had of like the tunnel, you called it tunnel vision of like, and therefore we all die. It's rigid. Whereas uh, the other reason Hansen's uh, arguments kind of ringed more true to me um, possibly, and this is just how I'm feeling after the episode. So I have episode bias. You know how you you do the episode and you're with the guest and you're like, you have episode bias on that perspective. This current guest is totally right. Yeah, totally right. (laughs) This one's, this one's the one we found him. (laughs) Uh, so I have episode bias. Let me just say that, but like it, it just seemed to be more acknowledging of other possibilities mm-hmm. rather than just kind of the narrow conclusion of, and we're all going to die. So I actually think um, Robin Hansen has the answer to the que- that question. It's like, what why question? will AIs kill us? Why, why will the super intelligent AI that Eliezer is fearful of, if that does manifest, why will it kill us? Is, is your question, right? Because yeah. it's, because it's grabby. Because it's, it's, because it is the Spain conquistadors and the Spain conquistadors ran into the Incas and they killed them. Right. And so like that's, they did, but like, so it's just, I would say to me, it was like a possibility at the end of the Eliezer's episode was like, well, like we don't kill all of the apes and we don't kill all of the ants. We just pay them no mind. And we just steamroll over them if we want to, but we don't go Since on a mission. Since the existence to re- of humans, biodiversity on this planet has gone. I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess that is true. I mean, I, some species have done well, right? Like the house cat done. Okay. Yeah, you want, you want to take that gamble brother. You know, what's funny. It's your, your reaction of like, I'm not ready to be a pet yet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure, David, you don't want to be an AI pet. You, you wouldn't make a good house elf. I think you muted yourself. 
the pet question. I, yeah, I I want agency, man. I don't want to be a pet. I don't. I'm not a lounger. Is it better than dying, though. <laughs> I'm not known to to lounge around. Are you going to be well, like? Well, actually, that's freedom a really or good death. Question. Yeah, for, I'm a freedom or deather for sure. You are. Yeah. yeah. You, are, you are one of the OG liberty or death types. You can have yeah, fight. You can fight the AI. If I had to wake up and like sit inside of a room, and Best case scenarios, I read books all day. Fuck, dude, that sucks. Well, but maybe like a pet. I'm not known to sit around. Okay, but like, look, I I have a pet, right? He's very, very yeah. he seems very, very happy. Like he doesn't, we just don't force him As to read books all day. As a result of a long lineage of what were previously, if, if a wolf <laughs> looked at, at at Murphy, sorry for doxing your dog's name. If a wolf so looked dogs. at Murphy. Murphy's so doxed right now. The wolf would be like, what the f- <laughs> He totally would. But Murphy now, his present form seems yeah, but, super happy. He's but super that's happy, because of you. genetic genetic innovations and iterations. That's cool. And, and we can do that to you too. We'll make not, you happy over time. Me. We don't have that tech yet. We don't have that tech. Uh, if we get to engineer me being content with lounging and reading books all day, then sure, I can. Well, I'm just I can, saying, I, I can be content with. Open anything. your aperture to more than just lounging and reading books, and open it up to like whatever David likes to do. Because I can tell you, we give Murphy whatever he wants to do. If that's what it means to be a pet. That's what it means to be pet. So I'm telling yeah, you, yeah. But not Murphy's a bad had what his his wants and desires engineered over time. I guess if I get my wants and desires engineered over time, and I also get exactly what I want, if that's that's an awesome version of a pet. Well, Murphy has been neutered, so you got that. Well, he was getting vasectomies. <laughs> yeah, you know that's usually by choice. I don't know. I guess there's pros and cons, right? But like. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, I feel like that's a possibility. Pethood is a possibility rather than just, you know, go straight to death. Also, well, that in Robin Hansen's world, when a grabby alien collides with a quiet alien and then just like, oh, there's a quiet alien there. Let's leave that alone around, uh, leave that alone and route around it and like turns it into like a zoo. It's like, well, here is a planet with yep. the humans. Like, that's a pet. Yeah, that's a pet I get planet. It. It's a pet planet, but it's, I don't know. It's okay, I guess. Um, Okay, so have you ever read the? Um, I love how much thought we're putting into this. Have you read the dark? Just like, thumbs okay. up. <laughs> yeah, he's to- he's totally right. He's Robin Hanson is right about everything. It's uh, you know, we no. We I just mean like you're like, oh, I'm cool with being a cat pet. I guess we are 18 I'm, minutes I'm into com- this debrief. I'm, I'm and coming. Like, I'm, I'm down for being I'm a pet. I'm coming pet. off of the we're all gonna die, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, pets not so bad, but okay. So, uh, Grabby Aliens is mm-hmm. ingenious to me. It's one of my, f- but let me ask you, have you ever read the Dark Force trilogy? Uh, I sadly dropped it halfway through the second book. I can, I can understand why the characters like it gets a little long, but like, you know, the premise, right? Which yes. is like yeah, yeah. the Don't reason, your location. the yeah. reason for the Fermi paradox, the reason we can't see aliens everywhere right. is because, um, all of the smart aliens know that if you expose your position, if you send mm-hmm. out the signal, if you try to make contact and you're sufficiently advanced, you'll be considered a threat by super advanced alien civilizations and they'll just That you don't know are you. out there. That you don't know are out there and they'll just destroy you. So it's a scary mm-hmm. dark forest. People have used this to describe the theory of mempool and MEV opportunities, right. which is really created. Mm-hmm. Uh, who did this? Uh, Dan, Dan Robinson. Robinson from I Paradise. thought that was really cool. Anyway, that had been like one of my working possibilities for the Fermi paradox. Like there are others, of course. But this is also like this may have surfaced to number one of sure. like as your your favorite space theory. My favorite space theory, like, and by that I mean the thing I think is most likely. 
Uh, you know, uh, you know the great filter theory. Yeah, that's enough. You know one. who, you know who created the great filter theory? <sighs> who did? I know who popularized it, which is, um, well, at least for me, it was Tim Urban on uh, Wait But Why. Do you ever read his post there? No, I haven't yet. That's so good. But the creator of the great filter theory? Yes, Robin Hanson. No, shut yep. up. Yep. Bro, I'm, oh my God, I'm so glad. Robin Hanson is cool, David, dude. David, I was going to ask him what he thought about the uh, great filter thing. <laughs> like, it was in my mempool. Oh my God. Dude, Robin Hanson's a imagine? really cool dude. Yeah. Can you imagine if I, I freaking asked if you him you asked the author, like, what? hey, what's your opinion on the great filter thing? <laughs> <laughs> Robin Hanson's like, wow. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> wow that's awesome yeah he's uh-huh. not as well known as i think he should be for uh, he's, his contribution he should be very very well known he's just got a way of thinking about things that is so, so here in uh, montenegro at, at vitalik's little cult conference thing that i'm at yes uh i was at you shouldn't his, call like, it fire. that it's not that right yeah it's, it's 100 not that okay. it's like this university for adults for like two months sure, it's vitalik's um cult. it's vitalik's <laughs> cult uh, so I, he was doing a fireside chat for like, uh, 45 minutes. Robin and Hansen? Then, uh, uh, no, Vitalik was. Oh, okay. So like right, right before this episode. And so I was like watching that for a little bit and I came up here to record this episode and like he referenced Robin Hansen's work on prediction markets. No, he didn't. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Robin Hansen's work on prediction markets, but that's just how we, we got introduced to Robin Hansen is through Vitalik. And then like, he started talking about Robin Hansen. Like I'm literally about to go record an episode with him. There's, t- there's at least two other areas and these are just things I know of. So like, I just don't know his full body of work quite clearly, but like one is mm-hmm. his thoughts on institutions. Mm-hmm. He very much thinks that we can create a whole new right. set of institutions this right. is very aligned with the competition institutions. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. this is very aligned with the, the crypto um, thesis and ideas. And like as a subset of that, as related to that, he thinks many of these institutions um, can be fueled by uh, markets, maybe prediction markets. And we'll have better, mm-hmm. better decisions and better outcomes if we harness and use markets more. Um, it, this is a whole nother episode, I think, that we could right. talk to him about. And uh, we probably need to at some point. I I would love to have Robin Hansen on 13, 14, 15 more times. Many, many, many I think more we times. Could. We could talk about the yeah. great filter. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I, uh, I want to talk about elephant in the brain. The, I, the thing is, like, he's he's like, bro, this is elementary. I wrote a book about this, and like, and I'm like, but this is like really big brain stuff, dude. <laughs> well, that's why I'm really excited that um, the Kyrgyzat put that in like a, mm-hmm. a ten to twelve minute video because they're masters at like if yeah. we boil if we try to boil down the essentials into a an episode podcast episode they try to boil it down into like 10 to 12 minutes which is really mm-hmm. a really cool piece of content yeah we still we still are at 90 90 minutes yeah there you go mm-hmm. um okay well that's robin hansen and um yeah i guess that makes me feel better in our ai quest i think it's not the conclusion i think we want to get um Paul's opinion on here. Uh, no, we are sneakily becoming an AI episode. We're slipping AI. Yeah, we kind of had to after that mm-hmm. Eliezer episode. Right. It was just, um, and the intersection with crypto is really interesting. Last thing I'll ask you, which is what we last asked him last, is um, his answer on crypto. He was a bit like, uh, show me. And right. I respect that. I appreciate it. He's like, where's the utility? I think he's maybe not seeing or discounting some of the pure non-sovereign money kind mm. of utility sure. that an ethereum and bitcoin are providing with with that approach because like i will still say 
holding ETH, holding Bitcoin rather than your fiat currency is utility. That is usage. Yes, but the ultrasound nature of Ether only comes from the utility that he's asking for. Agreed. Two, there's a, it's a two-sided coin, and those are mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin. So utility and store value have to go together. That is at least the conclusion yeah. that you and I have come to on this. So he is right. Yeah, um, yeah. so what, what's your take on uh, his take on utility? Oh, that we need that fair? crypto needs more use cases? Yeah, I think that's like, like a consensus opinion, even inside of crypto. Yeah. Um, I, I almost wanted to be like, okay, we'll come back to you and like, please pay attention to us later. And, you know, yeah, please don't forget here. about us. <laughs> I, it is a shame that prediction markets haven't really picked off, up yeah. in the way that they have. I think for someone yeah. like Robin Hanson, they'd be much more interesting, but like Augur, yeah. they're really picked up and poly market, I think is the leader, but it's even kind of done, done midly. I'd yeah. Say. Yeah. So more work to do to, uh, to uh, get uh, Robin Hanson's to, yeah, interest to in Yeah, to peak Robin Hanson. Yeah. There we go. But maybe um, maybe Eliezer will listen to this episode. Maybe this will... Uh... I don't think... I think Eliezer has already heard everything that Robin has already said on this episode. I think we are late. So we should have thing. another episode with Eliezer to tell him what Robin Hanson just said and get him to respond to it. <laughs> no, we, no, the next step is like, hey, Eli- Eliezer, uh, Robin, you guys want to debate? And we're like, we literally did we'll that in 2008. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would totally record a debate, but I also oh, wonder if yeah. if they just talk past each other at this point because they've already done it before. It's yeah, probably maybe. true. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, bankless citizens, let us know what you thought about this. Um, it's very late where David is, so yeah, it uh, is. we should sign off now. But uh, thank you for being a bankless citizen. We appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed the episode.